Chapter Two of The Martian by Alan Glazer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Signs of Life. All through the night he traveled and into the rising sun. The noonday heat forced him to take a prolonged rest, but he fought on as soon as possible, and sunset found him crawling weakly onward. The cool of night revived him somewhat. He knew that the strain under which he labored would hasten his time of sleep, and that worried him. Even now he was often in a semi-conscious state. Still, he could not stop. When the sun rose again, it shone through trees, and far across the yellow sand his tired eyes saw green hills. The sight invigorated him, spurred him on to stronger efforts. Soon after midday, he lay panting in the shade of trees. The trees astonished him. They towered above him, fully five times as high as any he had ever seen. Their stems were of enormous girth, rough and hard to the touch. There seemed to be something moving in their heavy foliage, far above him, and he heard faint, sharp, whistling sounds. He looked around uneasily. The size of the trees worried him. If there were animal life, it might be proportionately large. He shuddered. The desert, although uncomfortable, had had one advantage. He had been alone there. Still, it was not loneliness that he was seeking, he thought grimly. Obviously, he... He stiffened. He had been staring abstractly at the coarse grass which grew thickly around him. Now his eyes became focused upon a movement there, not three feet away. The grass was waving strangely, in a peculiar, uneven line, and he caught sight of something slim and green that was not the grass. His throat contracted painfully. The thing did not seem to move, yet it was coming nearer. Whenever he caught sight of a part of its body, it appeared stationary, yet the waving of the grass was closer and ever closer. It was very close now. Suddenly his power of locomotion returned. He rolled over backward and scrambled along the ground to a tree. Grasping the rough trunk, he pulled himself erect and held himself in that position, panting. He could see the thing more plainly now. It was like a long green whip in the grass. Its forepart was raised in the air and terminated in a triangular head with two bright eyes whose steady, unwinking stare made him tremble weakly. With an effort, he took his eyes from the creature and, pushing himself away from the tree, ran desperately as far as his legs would carry him. When he fell, he continued to crawl farther and even farther into the green woods. He wondered if all creatures crawled in this world of tune. Perhaps the great gravitational pull made erect postures impossible. For a long time he climbed steadily, threading his way through the underbrush, skirting fallen trees. He felt increasingly drowsy. His sleep period would come soon, he knew, 
he could not stave it off much longer, and when he had slept, he must eat. He came to level ground. Ahead was an opening in the trees, where a wide ledge of stone was revealed. Out upon this he crawled and gazed at the scene that opened out below. Miles of waving treetops met his view, but what held his attention was a strip of silver cutting the green. He felt a warm glow of satisfaction. Water, in his mind, was closely associated with organization, transportation facilities, reasoning beings. Yet he must be wary. He had no idea what sort of beings they might be. This might be a canal, but it was strangely irregular in its course. At least he was making progress. A peculiar ringing sound came from the trees below. It was utterly unfamiliar to him. Nerving himself, he determined to discover what it was. He climbed down from the stone and began the journey down the hill. As he progressed, the sound became louder, and others were added. He was puzzled by a low, intermittent muttering. It made him vaguely uneasy, and with every moment his agitation increased. The muttering was now very definitely spaced into irregular but continuous tones, and he knew that he was listening to a conversation. He was frightened. Now that he was so near to what he had been seeking, his courage left him, and he lay trembling, flat on the ground, awed by the booming voices of the creatures. They must be very large, he thought, to utter such deep tones. He had lain there for perhaps five minutes, when suddenly there came a rending crash, and peering ahead he saw the green top of a tree sway violently, sink, and disappear from sight. At the same time there came a louder cry, followed by the blending of two thunderous voices speaking simultaneously, then a heavy thud and another cry. He crawled cautiously forward. He reached the fallen tree. Its trunk was suspended above the ground by the projection of a number of its large branches. He peered beneath it. Directly before him, in a small clearing, two creatures were struggling together. They stood erect upon their huge legs, using their crudely bulky arms and hands to strike and tug at each other. They were tremendous in size, fully three times human stature, yet their heads were smaller than men's. Their erect posture gave them a weirdly half-human look, which was belied by the brutal savagery of their aspects. Their brows were low, their heads were covered with long hair, and in their gaping mouths he saw rows of sharp white fangs. Their skin, instead of being golden, was a dirty gray in color, and was covered with short, curling hair or fur. But he could see very little of their bodies, because, and this sight seemed to him the strangest of all, they were almost entirely covered with cloth. This woven material was brown in color, and shaped to hang close to their bodies, 
even over the arms and legs. He lay very still, watching the titanic struggle with ever-growing wonder. They appeared to be evenly matched. Once, one of them was hurled heavily to the ground, but he leaped effortlessly to his feet. Both of them grunted and uttered sharp exclamations at intervals. They tramped back and forth, tearing up the grass, crushing down the small bushes. They must greatly hate each other, he thought, or perhaps it was natural for them to fight like this. Now one of them was tiring, the smaller. Its movements were slower, and it stepped almost constantly backward. Suddenly, from its bulbous nose spurted a red stream. He shuddered. The sight of these two strangely manlike creatures beating and tearing at one another sickened him. The larger creature was pressing its advantage, advancing upon the other with cruel, flailing blows. Suddenly the smaller one crumpled to the ground and lay still. The other turned away. It seemed satisfied. It grasped an object which was leaning against a tree, a cutting tool apparently, consisting of an edged block of metal attached to a long handle of wood, and without a backward glance at its fallen foe, made off through the trees. The creature on the ground was alive. He could see the rise and fall of its breathing under the cloth covering of its breast, but the bright red blood was still running out of the nose. It had lost an astonishing amount, and he feared that, unassisted, it would soon die. He must try to help. With wildly beating heart, he crawled under the tree trunk and out into the clearing. As he moved through the grass, he made a slight rustling sound, which the creature heard. It turned its head and stared directly at him. He stopped fearfully. The creature uttered a loud cry and scrambled to its feet. He raised one hand, attempting a friendly gesture. But the creature, after watching him for a moment with wide eyes, bounded swiftly away into the woods. He heard the thumping and crashing of its passage through the underbrush long after it had disappeared from sight. His first sensation was one of immense relief. He had been desperately afraid. Evidently, the thing had been afraid of him too, and that was surprising. Clearly, these could not be the reasoning things that had built the flying machine he had seen. His relief was quickly followed by disappointment. For a moment, he had imagined that his first objective had been reached. Now he realized that he might be as far from it as ever. Toon was immense. Probably now he was in a country inhabited by inferior beings, beings that would be constantly hostile and dangerous to him. If that were so, his quest would end here, he knew. Sleep could not be warded off any longer. He could not protect himself. Soon he must eat, and there was no food. He crawled into the bushes and lay down, lonely and sick. He would stay here. This was failure and the end. But he was not sorry for having tried. Above him the sky was not blue now, but a strange dead gray, 
Nowhere could he see the sun. The wind sighed mournfully in the trees. He slept. End of chapter 2. Recording by Paul Harvey.